Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us, those of you who braved the rain this morning and came to be with us in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We consider you every bit as a part of our congregation as anyone. And so thank you all for being here today as we continue in our overarching theme called The Story. And uh, we're kind of doing a sub-series, Back to the Start. We're in the very first part of the Bible, and we're discovering that even 2,000 years before Jesus was born, we begin to see him at work, and it's been really cool. And so it's good to go back to the, the very beginning of our faith and see some of where we came from and where our, our faith has been shaped. And so uh, I'm just super excited that you're here today. Uh, if you are new to our church, uh, Pastor Nancy and I are going to be at the Welcome Center uh, right after worship uh, in a thing that we call Starting Point. It's just a great place to start to begin to get to know each other. So we would love for you just to swing by the Welcome Center and say hello and uh, give us a chance just to, to talk with you today. Before we dive in, let me just invite us all to join in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's Word today, that we would all hear that and allow God's story to really be part of our story. Let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was single and in the dating scene, had a lot of fun doing all that, but it could also be very stressful because when you're dating, there are all these rules about dating, but they're not written down anywhere. And whenever you're dating someone new, those rules can change without your knowing about it. One of the rules of dating is act interested, but not too interested, which is kind of a hard thing to figure out. And I remember when I first started dating Laura, who is my wife now, uh, we'd go out on a date, and I'd wait a day or two to give her a call to show that I was interested, but not too interested. And of course, when I called her, she wasn't going to pretend that she was sitting by the phone either. And so every time I called her, it would go straight to voicemail. And so uh, we played this cat and mouse game for a little while, and it was such a relief when we got past that till we could really begin to connect with each other and be honest with each other about, yeah, I am interested, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And even some things that you take for granted as being just common sense, like, you know, when I'm on a date, I want to open the door uh, for the, the, the girl that I'm, I'm going out with, the young woman that I'm going out with. And uh, one time I did that on a first date, and I went to open the car door, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just came to open your door. She's like, I can open my door. I'm okay. I, I can do that myself, okay? Back off. I'm like, okay. And so... Uh, when I went on a first date with Laura, that was fresh in my mind, and so we drove to the restaurant, and I got out of the car, and I was walking to the restaurant, I turned around, she wasn't there, and uh, she was in the car, she was not going to get out until I opened the door for her, and so guys always fail on the side of chivalry, uh, because it's, just, it's hard, it can be very challenging, these rules that are unwritten and always changing, and so... Uh, it makes it interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, well, today we're going to talk a lot about rules. Uh, it's rules that God gave the people of Israel to show how that they were supposed to act in relationship. And there was a lot of stuff packed into the reading. And just so from a high level, one of the, the basic things that we walk away from is that our sin, the wrong things that we do, needs to be atoned for. The word atonement means to cover over. If you break the word up, at one meant, right? So when we mess up, we need to be made at one with God again. Something needs to cover up 
uh, the wrong stuff that we've done. And so there are a lot of rules about animal sacrifices, which seems just so archaic. But if you remember, one of the consequences of sin is death. And so something has to die to cover over our sin. And so 1,500 or so years before Jesus was born, God chose animal sacrifices that humans could be forgiven if they sacrificed an animal and the blood would cover over the guilt and the shame of the human beings. Now, of course, this foreshadows Jesus coming and dying on the cross and His blood covers over our sin. And His sacrifice is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so we don't have to do sacrifices anymore because Jesus' blood is what makes us clean. And so, But this is laying the groundwork for that. Another part of what we read was that God wanted to come and dwell among the people of Israel. And, and so God appeared in, in, a, in a pillar of fire. He appeared in a pillar of cloud. We saw it on the video just here. God wanted to, to do life with people. And so He instructed them to build a tabernacle, which was like a portable worship space, that God would come down and, and spend time and be with the people, and that would kind of be like his, his home among the people of Israel as they traveled through the desert. And, you know, really what we're doing here in the theater is a little bit like that. We're a portable worship space, and so this is kind of like our tabernacle. Thank goodness we're not in the desert. We're in a warm, cozy, uh, nice-seated movie theater, but it's kind of like the early Israelites doing portable worship. But the main thrust of our reading uh, over this past week have been the laws that God gave to the people of Israel. He says, if I'm going to live with you and do life with you, we need to understand what the, the guidelines are, what the ground rules are. And so God very clearly gave them rules to follow. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to begin today in the book of Exodus. It's in the uh, second book of the Bible. If you remember last week, Moses uh, led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They, they exited, right? And so uh, God delivered them from the Egyptians. They've been there over 400 years, and so uh, they have escaped that. And so now we pick up the story uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 through 11a. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you, a binding agreement. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. And so if you remember over the past few weeks, we've talked about how God has established a covenant first with a man named Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, and that's to make them into a great nation, to give them the land of Israel and to be a light to all the rest of the world about how people can connect to God. So today God takes the covenant to another level. He's going to, he's renewing the covenant that was made with all these ancestors. He's, he's saying it to Moses. He's saying it to the people of Israel, wanting to take them back to the land of Israel. And now God is adding to the covenant. Right? If you're going to be my people, then people should recognize that. So I'm going to give you some rules. When you follow the rules, then people will know that you are my people and we can live in harmony together. And so God gives the people of Israel these rules, this covenant. Right. So the sign of the covenant is the law. And they tell us a lot. The first four are about commandments about our relationship with God, right? Vertical. Don't worship any other gods. They're not any other gods. Worship me. Then the last six commands of the Ten Commandments are uh, how to treat each other, right? Don't kill each other. Don't have adultery. Don't steal. Honor your parents, that sort of thing. So we're in relationship with God, and we're in relationship with each other. So we have the Ten Commandments rather than the 15. But, but actually, there are more than ten. 
There are more than 15. Uh, There are actually 613 of these commands. Uh, And so I thought today I'd just read all of them to you. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 613 commands, and uh, 248 of them are positive. Do this, do this, do that. 365 of them are negative. Don't do this, right? So there's a don't do something for every day of the year. Isn't that great? So 613 commands, God says, I want you to to follow these laws. If you follow these laws, people will know that you're my people. When we'll be in harmony together, it's all going to be great. And so so there's some really awesome laws in there. There's, There's laws, again, how we relate to God how we relate to each other. Uh, but there's some very weird laws that, that are in there, some very unusual laws. There, there's laws that says don't eat bugs unless their legs are jointed. So you, we can eat grasshoppers, just not any other kind of bugs. Uh, it says don't drink blood. That's a good rule, right? No vampires among the people of God. So the, uh, that, that's kind of a good law. Uh, there's some, some laws that are really strange and could probably make you blush. And uh, I'll try to say a few of them in a delicate way. Uh, let's say, men, that you were in a fist fight with, with another man, uh, and your wife wanted to come and help you out, and, and, and she hit the other guy below the belt, if you know what I mean. If, if she did that, uh, they would cut her hand off. Right? That is a law in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? There, there are laws in there about how to go to the bathroom. If you're out from the campsite and you need to go to the bathroom, there's a law that tells you how to dig a trench, how to... Do your business, how to cover it up and go back to work, right? So there's some very prescriptive laws in there. Uh, there's a law that says if, if you didn't uh, honor the, the national, uh, pa- well, national holiday of Passover, right? If you didn't honor Passover, then you would be excommunicated. You'd be asked to leave the nation of Israel. It would be like saying, well, I'm not going to celebrate the 4th of July. Well, then you need to leave the shores of the United States of America. So you could be excommunicated uh, for not doing that. If uh, you worked on the Sabbath or desecrated the Sabbath, uh, you would be killed for doing that. Uh, Teenagers, if you cursed your parents or rebelled against them, you would be killed for doing that as well. Some very harsh laws about relating to our parents. There were laws and rules about how you're not supposed to sow two different kinds of seeds in the same field, probably a practical law. There's also a law in the Old Testament in the Bible, the laws of Moses, one of the 613 commands. It says, don't wear any clothing uh, that, that weaves together two different types of material. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be in trouble with God. Uh, there's a law that if you're walking on the road and you find a bird's nest, that you may eat the eggs, but you have to leave the mother alone. That's an actual law in the Bible, one of the 613 commands. You're supposed to sew four tassels onto your cloak uh, that were blue colored. I think it's Duke blue, uh, even though uh, they lost to the Tar Heels. I, I see all the Tar Heels are here today. Uh, y'all had a good, good week. Uh, and it also said that the reverse mohawk was the, the hairstyle of choice. You can see that on the screen here. Uh, literally, it says that men are to wear the sides of their hair longer than the rest of of, of their hair. So, um, interesting stuff. Why does God give these 613 commands? Some of them make sense and some of them are a little bit out there, right? So, why does God give us this variety of rules? And again, I think it's about relationship. 
we're supposed to understand how we're going to be in relationship to God, how we're supposed to be in relationship to each other. Uh, we also have to remember that the people of Israel have been slaves for you know, somewhere around 400 years. And so they've been told their whole lives how to live and what to do and what not to do. And now they have this freedom. Maybe they're freaking out, not knowing what to do. So God is going to give them prescriptions so that there's no question. This is what you need to be doing. As opposed to dating in the 21st century, you have no idea what you're doing. God says, I want you to know what you're doing. I think also the purpose of some of these laws, and some of them just seem so archaic, cake and make no sense, probably not even to the people of the day, is it says to the people of Israel, it says to the people around them that they're different, that they're set apart. Like, Why are you doing that? That makes no sense. Why are you doing that? Because my God, the one God says, this is what I'm supposed to do. If I belong to God, this is what I do. And so it sets the people of Israel apart. They're different from the people around them in the culture that they live in, right? So it helps them understand how to be in relationship with God, how to be in relationship with each other. It gives them a clear message of what they're supposed to be doing, and it sets them apart. It makes them different from the people around them. So the question then becomes, the Old Testament is part of our Bible. It, it's, it's larger than the New Testament. How many of these laws do we need to keep today? You know, a lot of times we hear about moral issues or social issues, and, and people are making an argument from the Bible, and a lot of what they're doing is going back to the Old Testament. But conveniently enough, we, we pick and choose laws from the Old Testament that we want to enforce, and others we choose not to enforce. Right? You, you couldn't charge interest uh, to someone within the nation of Israel. Right? What would that do to our banking system today? Uh, if we couldn't or Christians couldn't charge other Christians money for interest, right? That, that would be a big problem. So which of these laws are we supposed to keep? So I want to spend some time today with Jesus in the New Testament because he, he tries to help us out. Now, at first, Jesus comes and he, he, he does something which is kind of irritating. He takes the 613 commands, sort of, and in some cases, he makes them more difficult than they were written in the first place. Uh, he says things like, you've heard it said that adultery is wrong. And absolutely, that's one of the top ten, right? Don't commit adultery. And Jesus says, but I say to you, if you look at someone with lust in your heart who is not your spouse, then you have committed adultery in your heart. Right? And so that's just as bad as doing the deed physically. And so, so Jesus takes it, and he gets to the heart of it. He gets to the root of it. He's like, you know, you've heard it said that it's wrong to kill somebody. That's absolutely true. But he says, if you're angry with a brother or sister and you carry a grudge, then, then you're, that's just as bad. Right? So murder in itself is horrible. What's at the root of murder is that we have this anger that we're not letting go. And so Jesus says it's a matter of the heart. So in some senses, Jesus takes it and he gets to the heart and it seems more difficult. But then there's a passage in Matthew's gospel that we're going to read where Jesus actually does help simplify it for us. And it's something that I'm very grateful for. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to the New Testament now. First book of the New Testament, Matthew's gospel. Uh, gospel is the good news of Jesus. It tells the story of the life and the, and the, and the birth and the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, and so we're going to be in chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. And there's, there's a lawyer, a religious lawyer, and he's going to ask Jesus... 613 commands, which one's the most important? All right, it's a great question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So basically, love God with everything that you have. That's the number one thing. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. The guy asked for one, one command. Jesus is going to give him two. He's going to give him bonus. He says, And a second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, right, the Torah that we talked about and the prophets, we're going to get to that later in the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. So what Jesus says is, right, of these 613 commands, these are the top two. These are the ones that I want you to focus on. If you're doing these things, then, then you're good, right? Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the whole Old Testament, right? So, so we don't really have to worry about the bird's nest. We don't really have to worry about, you know, mixing different types of material in our clothing or, or, or whether we eat fish or pork or, or chicken or, or beef or whatever, right? If we love God and we love people as we love ourselves, our neighbor as ourselves, God, Jesus says that's what it's all about, right? Now, he makes a, a, a difference here, though, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The guy says, well, who's my neighbor? Because in the Old Testament, the neighbor was considered another person in, 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 the, in the nation of Israel, right? Neighbor was someone who was one of us, who is, who, who is on our team. And Jesus takes it and he changes it. And he tells the story. And ultimately, the, the bottom line is neighbor now is not just one of your own kind, but it's anyone that you run into. right? So Jesus he radically changes that. So love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Anyone that I come into contact with as yourself. That summarizes the Old Testament. So 613 boiled down to two. Thank you, God. That is very helpful. Right? But then Jesus gives a new command. Uh, he's not done yet. And so uh, this time we're going to be in John's gospel. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four gospels, tell the story of Jesus, birth to death, resurrection. Right Now, we've got the top two, but Jesus is going to add another one, but it's actually going to simplify it. This is hard to believe, but it is. Right? John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. Well, that doesn't sound new, does it? We've been loving people since the beginning of time with Moses, right? That's, that, that's not the new part. This is what the new part is. It's highlighted in yellow here. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So love one another is not new. He, he's already said that. But now he qualifies it, and he says, As I have loved you, love one another. Right? And so, so this is going to have a very significant impact. Uh, and, and he goes on to say this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in the Old Testament, how do we know that you're the people of God? You keep 613 commands. Now Jesus is saying, how do people know that you're my disciples? I got one command for you, just one. Love as I have loved you. Right? And so now this command summarizes not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Jesus says, love as I have loved you. And so what does that look like? So that means to Matthew, who was a tax collector, who, who was a cheat and a robber and, and, and not popular in his day, Jesus went to his house and he hung out with Matthew and he hung out with other tax collectors and sinners and people that the world looked down upon. And Jesus said, you're important to me and I love you and I have a better way of life for you. Right? Matthew, remember how I treated you? Treat other people that way. He's going to say one day to Peter, you know, when I needed you most, right? you're the captain of the disciples. I needed you the most, and I was going to be arrested and put on trial, and you said you would go with me, and you would die for me, but, but as soon as they arrested me, you ran away, and then you denied me, not once, not twice, not three times, right? You, you totally abandoned me. How did I respond to you when I came back to life? I found you, and I forgave you, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter, remember that when you're dealing with somebody who has hurt you. 
when they have betrayed you, when they, when they have failed you, right? And then to all of us, to, to all of us, Jesus, he gave his life on a cross. He, he sacrificed himself so that we can be in a right relationship with God. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then love other people like I loved you. Be self-sacrificing of yourself to help other people. And so, so Jesus takes the 613 commands, he boils it down into one. Love as I have loved you, right? And that's powerful. So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's one of Jesus' disciples, one of his apostles. He goes and starts all these churches. He writes letters to the churches. He takes this command of Jesus, and in his letters, he shows us some very specific ways that we can love as Jesus has loved us. So if you've got your phones, I encourage you to take a picture of this next slide. I'm calling this Paul's One Another's. I'm totally ripping that off from Andy Stanley. Uh, and, and this uh, is, is how Paul unpacks it. Right? He says, if, if we love as Jesus loved, then this is what our life looks like. We forgive one another. We accept one another. We care for one another. We encourage one another. We submit to one another. We restore one another. We carry one another's burdens. We bear with one another. That's what loving each other as Jesus has loved us looks. So he boils it down to one thing. Love as I have loved you. And then we can, we can spread it out in all these ways that, that Paul has shared for us. So, so here's the big idea of the day. Again, if you want to take a picture of this or, or talk about this at lunch or, or, or go home and pray about this, this is what I think that, that, that God is saying through the Scriptures today. Right? Here's where it is. Our identity is rooted in God and reflected in relationships. Our identity, who we are, it's rooted in God. We are God's, right? We are rooted in God. And then if we're rooted in God, then it's going to be reflected in our relationships. People will look at how we live our lives and it will be reflected in those relationships. Notice I didn't say our identity is rooted in God and reflected in rules. That's not what I said at all. Our identity is rooted in God and reflected in relationships not so much rules. So let's think about that. We, who we are is rooted in God. God created us in God's image, which means we're God's and we can do great things like God. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, then the Bible says we become children of God. We become heirs of God. So who we are is our identity. We are God's people. Just like the people in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen nation. Right? And it was a relationship, but it, it was reflected in 613 rules. Right Now, we're rooted. our identity is rooted in God, and it's not in 613 rules. It's rooted uh, in God, and it's reflected in our relationships. If we're right with God, then we're going to want to spend time with God. And we're going to want to talk to God, and we're going to want to worship God. We're going to want to serve God. We're going to want to treat the people in our lives as Jesus treated us. And we want to forgive them and, and bear one another's burdens and, 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 and be there for each other. All those one another's. And so, so a take-home application, some homework, if you will, today would be to ask yourself, how do my everyday relationships reflect my identity in Christ? The way that I treat my colleagues at work, the way that I treat the people uh, at the restaurant, the way that I treat my family, the way that I treat my neighbors, do my relationships reflect that I am 
rooted in my identity in Christ, right? And, and, and talk about this with somebody that you love and trust who's a Christian, right? You know, the painful part for me sometimes is that the closer I am to somebody, uh, oftentimes uh, my reflection of that relationship can seem further from God than, than a stranger. I can be nice to a stranger. It's easy, right? You see them once, you can smile and, and be godly. But when you live with somebody every day of your life, right, that's sometimes where that, re- that relationship fails to reflect God because we just bring our junk home and, and we don't deal with that. So how, brothers and sisters, do your relationships reflect your identity in Christ? I think that's an important question. There's a story of a little girl who got in trouble and, and she was made to go to time out. And uh, she, she was made to sit down and time out and that was just, just really giving her some issues. And so she put her hands on her hips and she says, I might be sitting down in person on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up, right? I may be sitting down uh, on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up, right? So, so here's the false dichotomy, right? If, if We can follow all the rules in the Bible. We can follow all 613. We can follow the top two. We can follow the top one. If our heart's not in it, that doesn't reflect the true identity that's in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So if our hearts aren't right, it doesn't matter what we do because we can't earn our way into heaven. We can never be good enough to earn our way to God, earn our way into heaven. Our hearts have to be right. We have to have truly surrendered and invited Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. There's another part of this, though. I was reading some, some research on like the Billy Graham Crusades, you know, all the people that have been saved and come to know Jesus in these crusades. And the, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, they estimate somewhere between 70, 80% of the people who come down during the altar call really give their lives to Jesus and, and they remain Christians for the rest of their lives. Now, Billy Graham himself, on an interview with PBS, one time said that he believes personally that about it's 25% who came down at the altar call, gave their life to Jesus. 25% or so stayed with Christ, and, and that was a, a, a Christian life for the rest of their lives. That's a big disparity. I read an article that, that has nothing to do with Billy Graham or his association, and it estimates that only 6% of people who give their life to Jesus at a Bible crusade actually remain Christians and give their lives to God. Right? I don't know how they figure this out, how they measure it, but somewhere between uh, 94% or 75% or 20% of people who give their life to Jesus at a Billy Graham or a Bible crusade, they don't, they don't stay Christian, right? So does that mean that they were never transformed to begin with in the first place or that they fell off somewhere along the way, right? So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that, that we come to salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross and our inviting Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, right? Faith is primary, right? We, we believe in Jesus. We invite him into our heart. But if we don't act like Jesus is inside of us, if our relationships don't reflect our identity in Christ, if our actions, which can't save us, but if our actions in the way that we treat other people do not reflect Jesus, then our faith is dead because our actions don't recognize. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is our faith and our actions are both very important. Faith is primary, but our actions show that we, our identity is rooted in our relationship with Jesus and it's reflected in our relationships with people. So, brothers and sisters, ask yourselves a question. Go home, write it down. How do my current relationships reflect my identity in Christ? Now, if you're here last week, you heard me share some anxiety about how um, 
our identity as a Christian church and, and the city of Charlotte being a Christian place doesn't necessarily reflect uh, upon all of the people living in Charlotte. We, we, we kind of talked about how there, there's a disconnect. On the one hand, there's over 900, almost 1,000 churches in Charlotte. Uh, half of Charlotte say that they go to church every week. Whether they're lying or not, we don't know, but that's a lot higher than the, than the national average. Uh, we're the sixth most Bible-minded city in all of the United States of America. We're the third uh, most uh, strongest financial hub in all of the United States of America. So a lot of things going on. But, but then we talked about how uh, there's a big disconnect. 20% of, of children in our, in our city are living in poverty. Uh, one out of two schools in, in our city, in our county, uh, are segregated by race. One out of three of our schools are segregated by poverty. We're number one in the, in the state and number 10 in the nation uh, in human trafficking. Of the top 50 largest cities in all of America, we're number 50. We're dead last in, in social mobility, which means if you're born poor, you're going to stay poor in Charlotte. And so how can, on the one hand, our identity as a city, we're rooted in the Bible and we're rooted in Christ, and yet uh, the reflections of our relationships, there are a lot of people people in Charlotte and in Mecklenburg County who are hurting. And so there's a big disparity. That might be why the other 50% are not in church. This is a church city. This is a Bible-believing city. But how can a Bible-believing church city have so many people in pain and suffering and, and, and all these sorts of things? And that's a good question. That's what it left us to wrestle with last week. And you know, this got stirred up in me in a thing called Movement Day Charlotte, and they released this thing called the 2018 State of the City uh, Report. And so as a second take-home, right, first take-home is let's look at our own reflection, uh, our own relationship. Second take-home, I, I invite you to go to our website, southpartchurch.com, uh, and we've got right on the front page, right, this State of the Church uh, address, right? It's, it's a booklet in PDF form. I invite you to download it and read it. I want you to read of all the exciting things that are happening, the godly things that are happening in our city, but also the disconnect, right? There's, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with racial uh, division, right, with economic division, a lot of things with, with uh, refugees not being cared for in our city. And so I invite you to start thinking about as family, as an individual, uh, in your small groups, and, and whoever you're talking about this sermon series with, why is there such a disparity Right? If we're rooted in Jesus, our city churches are rooted in Jesus, and all these people are suffering in our city, right? why aren't we reflecting that in a relationship to the folks that are hurting? And I would just invite you to start praying about that. I'm going to do this with our church leadership, with our staff, our leadership team, with our community outreach team. And I've asked you to pray every day at 109 that God would, would make us bold as a church and, and to reach out and to do something about this disparity. And, and, and I, I believe God's going to speak to you. And I invite you to, to share with me or some other staff or leaders, what are you hearing from God? Where could God be calling us to focus this year and the next couple of years about, hey, I really need you to be doing this because we're doing some good things, right? Christmas Eve offerings, incredible. We're at Pinewood Elementary helping at-risk children. We're doing stuff with refugees in Charlotte. But, but what is it that God's stirring up inside of us to take to the next level, right? On a corporate church level, right? Together, right? If we, our church, our city is rooted in the Bible and rooted in Jesus, then why are these people hurting? And how can we do something about that? So to do some personal reflection and to do some reflection about how our church can help our city because I think it's very, very important. So my son Luke, 
He's 10 years old. He's my oldest boy. Uh, Nathan's getting ready to turn six. They both love video games. Uh, and Laura and I are very strict on how much time they get. She more so than me, because <laughs> I like video games too. And, uh, and so often I'm the third child. Y'all need to pray for her for a lot of reasons. And, uh, uh, but also we restrict which video games they can play. So Luke's 10, and he's like tween, and he's like 13, 18 already. Just, you know, you know how it goes. They just age way faster than they should. And so he's upset with me that there's certain games that I won't let him play, uh, like Call of Duty, uh, Assassin's Creed, Grand Theft Auto, right? These, these are very violent games. They're very sexualized games. And uh, he says, but dad, people in my classroom get to play these. Well, you know, son, I'm sorry, right? I'm not their parents. I can't speak for them. Uh, but, but I don't think that's healthy for us to be doing that. He's like, Dad, the kids at church do that, right? And I'm thinking, y'all aren't helping me out there now, parents. Come on, right? right? They're mature games. There's blood and there's gore and there's violence and there's sex and there's theft and, and all this stuff going on. And I said, Luke, that's inappropriate. And I love you. And I know it doesn't make sense. Your friends are doing it. I know it looks cool. But I just, I love you. And I don't think that's, that's the right thing to do right now. So we're not going to have that in our house, right? And so, so on one level, he's like the girl who's in timeout, right? I can't play this video game on the outside, but on the inside, I'm wanting to do that, Dad, right? He's wanting to rebel. He's, he's wanting to find a way to figure out to either wear me down or get to somebody's house where they have the videos and play that, right? And so my hope is that somewhere deep down in Luke and his tug of war, spiritual, do the right thing, do the wrong thing, right, that, that, that he is somewhere saying, you know what? My dad loves me. My dad has my back, and, and he's asked me to do something that makes no sense whatsoever. It's like the bird's nest to him, right? No sense whatsoever. But then i got to trust Dad because Dad's proven himself, and he loves me, and, and we're a family. And so I'm hoping that when he's off with his buddies and they have these video games and they're playing them, that, that he's going to make the right decision, not because I laid down the law and I'm your dad and I'm going to drown you and all that, which I would, but uh, because I love him. But that's got to be his choice, right? Our identity. We as a family, we, we do certain things and we don't do certain things. I got your back. I need you to trust me, even though it doesn't make any sense. Brothers and sisters, do your relationships reflect your identity in Jesus? Does our church, does our city, a, a godly Christian Bible-based city, does that reflect in our relationships with those who are hurting in our community? We, our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and it's reflected in relationships. Be rooted in Jesus and let that relationship bleed over into all the other ones. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen.